Welcome back to the One Two Kentucky Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Coach John Spurlock. Thank you so much for tuning in today. My guest today is the one and only Alicia Carrillo. Now, she's been on this podcast several times, but I wanted to bring her back so we could talk about her podcast, the 3P Podcast. And the 3Ps are person, player, professional. And if you haven't listened to it, you need to. Carrillo does a great job of having insightful conversations with her guests, and it's a must-listen We also touch on how life is living in the Sunshine State and then some of the logistics of her online coaching gig. Like always, I hope you enjoy our conversation. How's your Wednesday morning going? So far, so good. Not not much has happened. What have you been up to? I woke up early this morning, got some work done. As you know, we do not work on Wednesdays during the summer. I go into the office, so got to sleep in a little bit, but... Had to get some stuff done on the old lab laptop, so did that. Prepped for this podcast, and now we're here. Here we are. Yep. How are your puppies doing? I saw you had a dog butt in your face last night. Yeah, yeah, they're good. Um, let's see, they've stayed out of the emergency room. Knock on wood. So that's always positive. Mm-hmm. Um, Rona really likes to swim, but she is not very good at it. So why? Why is that? Well, <laughs> she's missing a leg and she also, you know, she's about the size of a volleyball, but is about 30 pounds. So yep. she kind of just sinks. Uh, so, yeah. Awesome. Well, we're recording. We'll hop right into this. And you're somebody that has been on the podcast multiple times. So I don't want to do this long extended intro, but just so you know, the past few weeks, especially during the summer, I've been trying to bring on guests that are former Kentucky strength coaches so we can talk about their time. We can tell some stories, but then really just diving into what they've been doing since they have left UK and what's going on with their lives, what they're looking uh, forward to in the future. But real quick, let's just do a quick introduction of you. So education, you know, when were you at UK and what you've been doing after your time at UK? All right. So education, I got my bachelor's from University of Southern California in 2011. That was a degree in human performance. Um, After that, I attended Lund University in Sweden, and I did my master's in sports medicine. That was 2013 to 15. I got to UK in 2016 began my master's in sports psychology there in 2017 and graduated in 2019. And then you yeah. left UK, you graduated, you were one of the first people or maybe the first person ever to graduate with the sport and exercise psychology emphasis major uh, in that master's program that Dr. Cormier started. And we've talked about that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after UK, your first job was with Future, is that right? Yeah, correct. So it was a tech-based startup in San Francisco uh, doing online strength and conditioning, essentially. Yeah, um, kind of off topic of, you know, intro to you, but I just saw that I think the guy that hired you just left Future. Yeah, he did. did what did he end up going to? I couldn't really 
detect what the next company was that it, it's like maybe some it was, venture capitalist type situation yeah um i think and this is my understanding and i could be completely wrong i think he left and went to a company of basically a bunch of venture capitalists so people with a lot of money that strictly invest in health and wellness companies yeah so something like that i don't know that's yeah, that's kind of the gist I got as well. I tried to do a little bit of a, a dive into what it was because when you took that job with Future, I was very intrigued by it. And that's something yeah. I want to get into uh, later in the podcast, or we might jump into it now. But like you are training people online. What yeah. I know specifically, you have Ryan DeVrent, Brie Papato that you're writing workouts plan for. But uh, with Future, that was kind of a new thing when you jumped on board when they were a startup. It was a small company at first. You know, we would call you every now and then and you'd be walking around San Francisco or doing photo shoots and doing <laughs> online at home programming um, for for that company. And it seemed like a pretty cool deal because I do remember it wasn't that much money. Maybe it was like 150 bucks a month. Yeah. And then they gave you an Apple watch and something else. And then you as a very well qualified strength coach were writing programs for gin pop people all over the country world whatever it was and that was very intriguing to me because mm -hmm. i'm very much a homebody i'm like man if i could do my job and yeah. just do it over a laptop and do it when i wanted that 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 sounded pretty cool what were some of the pros and cons of working at future yeah so i mean some of the pros were the people that i met the pe some of the people that i worked with became some of my really close friends that i still I'm in touch with regularly. Um, it introduced me to really introduced me to the world of strength and conditioning for the general population. I did not have much experience with that before. And I know that you've worked in that realm a little bit as well. So you can attest to this, but just how different it is um, from training athletes. So I definitely was grateful for that. And then it introduced me to online coaching. So, I mean, we were pre-pandemic, this was 2019. And, and I think 2020 when, you know, COVID happened is when online coaching really took off. Yeah. Um, so to be able to kind of have like that foundation and that, that experience or that, that was definitely some of the pros. Um, as far as cons, it was a startup. So <laughs> it fell, you know, victim to a lot of the the issues that startups have, which is one, not really maybe having a clear identity, um, a business model that had some issues. Uh, just, you know, I, I think they're still figuring themselves out. Um, yeah. And they certainly were while I was there, but you have to look at it as like, okay, we want these really high level coaches, but we want to train a lot of general population or athletes at a low price how do we make money how do we pay people um just the business side of it so that got Are a little bit messy anybody that because you were one of their first employees and yeah. when you were a part of their company there wasn't that many is yeah. anybody still with the company that started with you in 2019 do you know i uh, yeah there are a few people that are still there um most people that I'm like in direct contact with have either left or I know they let go a bunch of people recently. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And I, I don't really know all the reasons behind that. Um, just, 
I guess as the company evolves and oh, yeah. changing and all of that. But yeah, I know there are a few people that are still with the company. There's one guy that started the same day I did that still works there. Actually. Really? Yeah. Um. So when you were with them, you had, I, I want to, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you needed to hold at least 50 clients. Does that sound like a. Yeah. Number? Yeah. I think the way they had the business model set up at the time was like, if based on our salary, if we didn't hold 30 clients, we were not profitable as a coach. Yeah. Um, and I know that I had, when I left, I think I had 65 clients. How was, <laughs> to me, the, the, the concept of future or online uh, training, online coaching, it, prov it could allow you to have a very good work-life balance where, you yeah. know, you do the program. If you want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning and write your programs and send them out, um, answer questions from your clients at midnight, that's up to you. Um, but having 65 clients, what was the, what did the workday look like? Were you technically always on the clock? Were you able to set your hours? Yeah. So Monday through Friday, we were on the clock from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And then Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then Sundays were off. Gotcha. And so by on the clock, just meaning that if a client messaged you, you were required to respond to them within one hour. So that got a little bit dicey, you know, especially in the evening when you're wanting to go to dinner with a friend or you have yeah. a significant other and spend time with them. And it's like the phone's dinging. Yeah. It takes two seconds to pick it up and send a little feedback, but I don't know. I found that to be a little bit intrusive and it did make it a little bit hard for a work-life balance, especially with the Saturdays too. Yeah. I bet. Um, especially even Monday through Friday, eight to eight. That's, yeah. that's a long time to be um, on your toes waiting for your phone to ding. And like you said, whether you're out to dinner, whether you're, I don't know, you got a doctor's appointment, who knows? Mm -hmm. And maybe you're somewhere that doesn't have great cell reception. Like I would said. bike home. I would ride my bike home. Um, and it would take me, you know, 30 to 40 minutes sometimes with all the hills in San Francisco. And I'd be getting these notifications on my watch and it's just like stressing me out. <laughs> like, yeah. Or like people that took the subway and, you know, you don't have uh, reception on the BART at places. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I don't know what it's like now. I don't know if they still have those same guidelines. Um, but that was one thing. And then, you know, strength coaches, like a lot of us came from the collegiate setting and we were used to working 5 a.m., 6 a.m. Yeah. Like we're used to long hours. So a lot of us were like, well, can we just make our hours from 5 a.m. to 5 p.m. instead and there was like no and it's like okay this 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. things different <laughs> yeah. so going back to having a lot of clients so 50 65 clients yeah what programming wise what did that look like um you didn't have 65 individualized programs you still had your just like we do with our teams like yeah when I had women's basketball and volleyball they were specific to that sport and their demands for that part of their off season or in season, but the movements, the, the, uh, periodization scheme might look similar. So how did right. that work with, uh, your clients? 
Yeah. So, I mean, you have a lot of like base templates that you would write out and come up with um, and then kind of like plug and play off of those. So that was helpful. At the same time, like you have to remember that we were open to anyone. So they would say maybe that we had specialties as coaches, but the reality was that we would take any client. So yeah. I might have an 85 year old man who, you know, has severe arthritis in all of his joints and hasn't worked out in 20 years. And then I also have a 17 year old that plays volleyball. And then I have a mom of six kids that has 20 minutes to work out. Um, and then when COVID hit, this all just got exaggerated because yeah. suddenly everyone who had access to a gym no longer has access to a gym. And so you have these base templates, but it's like, well, okay, this person has two resistance bands. This person has a set of 15 pound dumbbells and, you know, a physio ball. <laughs> so all of a sudden, like you're playing with all these different pieces of random equipment and um, yeah. So it was at times it felt like writing 65 individual programs. Yeah, I bet. General pop is tough. Yeah. Even when D and I had our CrossFit business, we would have, you know, people that came in that had experience with Olympic weightlifting. And then we had, I know one specific guy came in and he was crazy and mobile. Um, it took him three months to get through our orientation process where we're just teaching them how to warm up properly, how to do our squats, presses, and hinges. And then we're had to dive into the um the task of teaching this individual how to do Olympic lifts because we were very much heavily into clean mm -hmm. snatches, jerks, and that took a long time. But even D and I were talking to our summer interns yesterday about how that just made us better coaches and having a better coaching eye so i can only imagine that your experience at future definitely made you made you a better programmer as a yeah. as a strength coach just made me more aware of like where people are at i think you know going into it i thought like okay general population like they can't be worse than my like worst walk-on yeah yeah and that's just so far from the truth like <laughs> It's like, you can't just take a watered down version of your strength and conditioning program that you used with like the tennis team or something mm -hmm. like, you know, we're talking about people that can't do a pushup, not even an incline pushup. We're talking about, you know, people that, and not even like their physical ability, but like adherence, Yeah. you know, there's no time that they're showing up to work out. It's okay. I'm just trying to get you to move your body for five minutes three times a week. So yeah. there's like the whole psychology aspect to it as well. Yeah. So I want to get back to your online training that you're doing now, but let's uh, going back to my agenda that I wrote down. So even yeah. your experience at future, I think was super unique and super cool, but you've yeah. done a lot of cool things in your life. So you were, you ran track at Southern California. Mm -hmm. You spent, you spent some time in Hawaii you grew up in California, you lived in Sweden, you lived in New York, you've lived in Australia. So you've done a lot of great things, a lot of cool mm -hmm. things that I think a lot of people aspire um, to do throughout their lifetime. But now you live in Pensacola, Florida. You love yeah. drinking bushwhackers. <laughs> do not. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a hot peanut butter milkshake on the beach. <laughs> 
So I, I, I think I told you, but I was in Gulf Shores, Alabama a few weeks ago on vacation. And that was the first thing on the board when we walked into the restaurant, like special yeah. of the day, bushwhackers, buy one, get one free. So ended up getting one, drinking half of it, being like, that wasn't bad. Yeah. I just don't want to, I definitely don't want two. And I definitely don't want to finish the one that I had. Yeah. It's like people get serious about it here. Like, you know, they'll be, where's the best bushwhacker? People get in fights about it. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah. get it, but so you've lived all over the world. Let's rank Florida on a scale of one to ten. Where okay. would you put it? Is is ten like the high? Ten's or... the high. Yeah, okay. ten's the high. Um, I probably give it a seven. Yeah, seven and a half. Yeah. I know you like the weather. I know it's hot. Yeah, I like the weather. Um, we don't have state income tax, so that's yeah. awesome. That is awesome. It's you know. As somebody who grew up in California and California is, you know, one of the big draws to it is the beach, the yep. seaside. Um, and obviously we have that in Florida too. And the cost of living is so drastically different that um, that's something that I really appreciate. People here will talk about how expensive it's gotten. And I'm like, you have no idea yeah. uh, what expensive it is. No, yeah. So I love that it's affordable. Um it's also just like a really uniquely bizarre place. So all those like Florida man stories you hear, mm -hmm. they're all real. And I think they all happen in Pensacola. Like this past month, there was a restaurant, not in Pensacola, but just a couple miles north that got shut down because they found meth in the soy sauce. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like getting really sick. Oh, Creo, I forgot to tell you. So we were right there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and that was my first time doing that. Um, no, we were driving. So we flew in and out of Pensacola to get to Gulf Shores, which the drive from Pensacola Airport to Gulf Shores at like four or five o'clock in the afternoon was yeah. horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous. That was terrible. That was the worst part of the whole travel day. But um flew out on a saturday or flying back to kentucky on a saturday and that was fine we, we left early enough in the morning we didn't run into traffic but i knew i had to stop and get gas in the rental car so you know stopped and got gas pulled back on to the road and i look up and there is just a billboard that says like alert alert gonorrhea alert <laughs> yeah yeah you like, you get like desensitized to these things where <laughs> just some of the stories that my friends who have grown up here tell me I'm just like that's not normal that's not how yeah. we live I'm like y'all better not ever move anywhere else because you're going to be really disappointed with how boring the rest of the world is yeah yeah uh I can't believe I forgot to text you that when I saw that yeah. billboard driving back to the airport because I don't think we were, we were probably on that Alabama, Florida line at that point, but it was just like, what, 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 what did I just read? What is going on at this part, this part of the country that that yeah. needs to be a billboard? Yeah. It's, it, Florida is like, I don't know. It's everything that you kind of like hear about, think it is at the same time. I think that people kind of have this idea that like, it's just a total dumpster fire here and like, you know, we're just like 
trying to torch the constitution and like you know all that but i'm like it's pretty actually normal like most people are pretty level-headed and reasonable um obviously in the media you get exposed to like the extremes from both ends so we're all okay that's good yeah um so let's move on so another cool thing that you've done you've traveled the world you've lived in a lot of different places but you started your own podcast recently Yes. So you have the person player professional podcast that you've done a great job of uh, really enjoyed listening to your first season of it. But taking a step back, what was the purpose behind it? And uh, really just what made you want to start a podcast and have start and start your own conversation? Yeah, so I guess kind of going back to what I've done after Kentucky. So, you know, I was at future for a year. Um, I left that job because it just it was not for me. It wasn't it wasn't the right uh, fit for me. And then I started working at a gym about an hour from here. Um, And that was a great experience. I was there for a little over a year, um, but eventually due to some external circumstances, other things, I I left that job. So I was kind of in this abyss. Like I was dealing with this pretty bad back injury. I was really burnt out um, from coaching, partly because I was driving like, over an hour each way to work at three o'clock in the morning and 7 p.m. at night. Um, And so I kind of was just sitting in this space of like, who am I? What am I going to do with my life? Like all of a sudden, the one thing I had held on to for so many years, which was being a coach was gone. And I felt like I lacked purpose. Um, And a friend of mine, Hannah Valenzuela, she had me on her podcast and it's kind of the same tune of mine. And so through that experience and becoming friends with her, I was like, you know what, maybe I can start a podcast too. And she was really encouraging and helpful through that. But essentially, like, I think I was just, you know, I was going through this like difficult time of discovering who I was without coaching and letting go of that. And I think we all say like, we have things outside of like our career or our status as a student athlete. But until it's really gone from you, I don't know if you can actually say that that's true. Um, And so like sitting in those moments of like just feeling embarrassed and like kind of ashamed and like I'm not anything. I gave up everything that I had. Like, who am I? And then kind of coming out of it and figuring out who I was. I was like, this is important. Like, it is important to recognize or find yourself as a person like separate than your career or your status as a student athlete. So that was kind of where the idea came from. Um, And then I just wanted to like have conversations with people. I wanted to talk to other people about their experiences, talk to experts in the field. um, And yeah, but I think like ultimately kind of in that, that lost time, it, it just was something that I could look forward to and you know, put effort and energy into because I've never been the type of person that just wants to like sit around. It's okay for a few days, but I get bored after that. Yeah. So a lot of the episodes that you have, whether you're interviewing somebody and you're talking about some things that, you know, a lot of the times people either have a stigma about or sweep them under the rug or, or if it was just you on the podcast, you were talking about some real personal uh, things that you were either going through at the time or went through in the past. What, how did that make you feel after getting all that out, you know, gathering your thoughts, putting it on a podcast and sing, sending it out to the world? Yeah. So, I mean, it was kind of scary at first. Um, 
especially like I share, I started to share some things that I didn't think I would ever speak out loud. Mm -hmm. Um, like struggling with disordered eating and things like that. Like I didn't think I would ever voice that, um, to anyone. And so putting, putting those things out there, like it was a little bit nerve wracking, um, or going more into like my history with depression. But at the same time, like, I think I was just, and have been just so comfortable with who I am and like the, you know, just really like shedding all those insecurities of your twenties and like all of that stuff that I didn't, I just, it allowed me even further to just stop caring. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe 10 people listen to it. I'm sure there was probably some people that are like, Oh, Alicia thinks she can have a podcast. Like very cool. Um, probably some haters, but yeah, I think it, it's like really freeing to just be able to put that out there. Um, and then obviously being able to share other people's stories. The my the one thing that I want is for them to be comfortable and feel like they got something out of it. So as long as, you know, I that happens, then, you know, that's really all I can ask for. I think one thing you need to understand is even as I was listening to a lot of your episodes where you were sharing those sorts of things, like in my mind, it was, I'm listening to Korea. I know her, she's talking about these things. She put them out to the world there. You know, you really had to think through what you were going through or feeling at that moment in your life. And it was, I could only imagine how liberating that was. And it's almost inspiring to, uh, for somebody like me, I was like, Hey, if Carrillo can talk about this and then I can address this issue in my life. And it, you know, my issue wouldn't have been like uh disordered eating or anything like that, but it was maybe something else that I was going through at the time or something that I went through in the past. So I just wanted to let you know that, that you putting yourself out there was definitely inspiring for me to think through some things that I needed to, whether it was own up to or address that was causing anxiety, depression, whatever it was in my life in the past. So, um, so uh, one reason I wanted to bring you on the podcast, because recently multiple people have told me like, Oh, I'm thinking about starting a podcast too. What advice yeah. would you, would you <laughs> give me? And I was like, you know what? I have my thoughts on that, but I would want to hear yours as well. Because when we started this podcast, I was lucky enough to have a few people around me that knew that could lead me in the right direction with like, Hey, what mic to buy, or we need mm. to get this SoundCloud account, or this is how we get it on Spotify. This is how we get it on Apple podcast. Were you doing that all on your own? And how much did you learn? How did you learn all that stuff? Yeah, pretty much. Um, I mostly just Googled everything. Yeah. Um, I found like a helpful guide from people that I actually use as my podcast host, which is Buzzsprout. Um, they kind of have just like a very simple watered down beginners, like step-by-step, step. but yeah. Um, I think like one thing that a lot of people need to know is that it's way more work than you think it's going to be. Yeah. Like, I mean, unless obviously you have the means to hire somebody to do your editing or, you know, you have an intern or somebody that's wanting to do the social media and the editing and the artwork and all of that stuff. Um, it's, it's a lot of work. Like, yeah. quite frankly, it's more work than I anticipated. Um, I like, but at the same time, one a major piece of advice I would say is like, don't get hung up on those small details either. Like you don't have to have the perfect microphone. I spent months like 
fixating over this buzzing noise that I thought I heard in my headphones for my microphone that like I don't even know if anyone else could hear it and I was like I you know I'm googling for hours like how do I get rid of this buzzing sound like I'm full on ready to become like an audio engineer at this point like messing with all these dials that I have no idea what they mean on GarageBand and you know at the end of the day it's like nobody cares nobody cares so what's your plan for the podcast moving forward? I know you took a break because it is a lot of work, whether <laughs> yeah. it's scheduling guests, figuring out your content, editing, all that stuff. What's your, yeah, what's your plan Yeah, it's actually for? like really embarrassing. One of the reasons why I kind of like was forced to take a break is my computer just, I don't have the bandwidth on it to hold episodes and I have an external hard drive, but it just seems like no matter what, I'm always out of space. Um, so it was just, you know, it was becoming a real headache for me. Anytime I would try to save something, it was like, can't save this, can't save that. I've had this computer for like seven years now. So that's been a hurdle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm hoping to get a new one in the, in the near future, but yeah, I definitely, I want to resume it. I don't want it to be like something that just goes to the wayside. Um, and I never pick it up again. I would say this summer has gone by way faster than I kind of like, I don't know if you're feeling that too, but I'm oh, like, absolutely. how is it already July 20th, basically? Um, But yeah, I, I do want to like take some time to just kind of sit down and figure out real, where I really do want to go with the podcast. Because um, I, I am really proud of the first season and those 20 episodes that I did. But I think I can, you know, I always am going to say that I can do more and I can do better. So I want to have, you know, maybe a more clear direction. And then one thing that's been kind of interesting for me is that it's been, you know, when I started it, I was in that place of like, who am I? What am I? What do I do? What's my passion? Um, And really like deep in the mental health space. And I'm just like so far removed from that identity, I guess, that I carried for so long as like having depression, um, having that be like a really cent- like central focal point of my life that sometimes it's like, I don't want to talk about that. Like, and then I remind myself, it's not just for me, it's for other people. Like, it's important to have those conversations. Um but yeah, I kind of want to find a balance of like, who am I now versus, you know, what, what have I been through? What have other people been through? Like how they can share their stories. But yeah. What would be, um, if, as you look back on the first season, the first 20 episodes, what would you change? What, what's something you wish you could go back and be like, oh, I wish I would have known this, or I wish I would have made this decision instead of that. Um. I think there were some times where I rushed some things out that didn't need to be rushed. You know, I don't have an audience of like 10 million people that are waiting for me to drop an episode on Monday. Not yet. Next season two, that's when it's coming. (laughs) And I kind of, I kind of figured that out toward the end um, where I would say like, Hey, no episode this week, like tune in next week. I think you get worried that if you miss a week, all of your followers are suddenly going to like disappear and no one's going to listen to it. But Mm -hmm. You know, I just think about the podcast I listen to and I'm like, I don't even know what day they come out on. <laughs> like, I just open up my podcast app and I say, oh, this title looks interesting. Like, yep. so I, uh, yeah, I think there were some times where I rushed some things and, um, 
I probably could have, you know, done a better job with those particular episodes and whether that was the editing or the the social media content or um, just whichever piece of it. Um, and then I wouldn't say it's something that I, I know. I necessarily feel like I could have done better, but you know, in the beginning, you're kind of just trying to find guests, like whose schedule works here, whose schedule works there. So I didn't really feel like I was so super cohesive all the time. Um, maybe having like, yeah, like a more cohesive theme going forward, but that's easier said than done. I mean, most people don't have like 20 experts on the same topic that they can just call up and set up an interview with. Yeah. I do think like I definitely feel this way sometimes where I'm rushing something where I have it in my mind and I write it down as a goal that I want to put out an episode for this podcast every two weeks. Sometimes that doesn't work out. And sometimes in the past, I've either rushed something, didn't edit something as well as I should have, didn't think through a topic as well as I should have. But I also don't think that's something that people should worry about if they are thinking about starting a podcast mm -hmm. that because a lot of times that comes down to how I don't have the time to do it right now. Yeah. And, you know, life happens, things happen. Uh, but that shouldn't deter somebody on whether or not it's time to take the leap to try something new, whether yeah. that's a new podcast or start a podcast or something else. But I think uh, it's like this idea of like, you know, I'm somebody that always wants everything to be perfect. Like I am my own biggest obstacle and I always have been, but it's like looking back at the first strength and conditioning program I ever wrote, like, I don't know where it is. I hope I never see it because it was probably terrible. Sometimes it's fun to see and look <laughs> back and be like, Oh my God, what is this? So it's like, I am so sorry to all of those athletes. Like, <laughs> but it's the same thing. It's like, you just have to know you're going to look back at your first episode and be like, yeah, probably could have done better there. Um, nobody just starts something and is perfect at it. Yeah. The, the first go around. So, yep. and like you said, you, things might evolve too from like you say, maybe for season two, you don't want to absolutely talk about or make mental health the number one thing you talk about in things can evolve as well. And that's definitely something I've done with this podcast, or at least my thought is moving forward is, Hey, I want to have conversations like we're having right now. And it's just like a conversation I've had with Zane Hunt, who was a previous intern for us and Justin McKenna. And eventually I want to get to a point where, Hey, it's not so much a, um, interview, like getting to know somebody, but it's no, Hey, getting coach D on here. And Hey, let's talk about the X's and O's of your softball program. Let's talk about right. your periodization schemes. Let's talk about your, um, the needs analysis you do and your exercise selection. Cause I think that would be absolutely very valuable to all 10 of our listeners that are listening to the one, two Kentucky blue podcast. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, you know, you do realize people do pick and choose the episodes they want to listen to and very rarely are you going to find somebody that's just going to listen to every episode you put out no matter what. Yeah. So even um, I do that. I I, yeah. I love certain podcasts, but if I see a title and I'm like, mm, not for me this week, I'm going to skip that one. It yeah. is what it is. You might go back and listen to it later. Like, but yeah. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about social media for a little bit. And you had mentioned okay. your back injury a few minutes ago. And then yeah. a lot of the stuff you're putting out on Instagram has to do with running. Um, mm -hmm. did that, did you really start getting into running because that was the only thing you could do when your back was in such rough shape? Yeah. So it was like two part. Um, 
after I left Future and I was working at a um, gym called M3 Strength and Conditioning, which is phenomenal, I was training an athlete who was preparing to go to Marine Officer Candidate School. Um, and so she had to be in, not just be able to pass her PT test, but she had to pass it, you know, with flying colors, essentially. Yep. And she didn't have a strong running background. So I started training her and I quickly realized, like, I'm going to have to run with her. Like she was the type of person who, you know, just needed that, I guess, external pressure yep. <laughs> of having me right there to, to push herself. So that's how I started running. And at that time, my back actually was okay. It was just kind of, I think you probably remember, I've always kind of had some back issues. Mm-hmm. It was my normal, like low level pain, but I realized that running felt really good. Um, once she left for OCS, I kind of like got out of it. And then it was maybe four or five months after that, that my back got really bad. And that's when, yes, I picked up running again because it was not only the only way I could push myself, but it also was like one of the only ways I could get relief from like this constant pressure in my low back. So I never thought I would become a runner, but here we are. Are you going to become a competitive runner? Like 5Ks every other weekend doing, you know, 10Ks, half half marathons, marathons? Yeah, no, that's like too pedestrian for me. So I am, um, no, I actually, I did set a 5K goal last year. I wanted to break my PR that I had set when I was 13 years old in high school. Um, <laughs> I achieved that. So I was by myself. I was, yeah, really proud. Um, but I actually recently hired a coach. Not um, for running specifically, but I just was like, you know what? I'm tired of writing my own programming. I'm not pushing myself in ways that I know that I can, especially with my lower body, because I've had so many issues. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, let me just put this in someone else's hands. Um, And so I've been working with him for like a month now. Um, Like, is it online or is it in in person? It's online. Okay. It's online. Um. Yeah, he's great. His name is Alec Blennis. He's actually the Murph world record holder, believe it or not. Oh, have you posted about him on your Instagram? Probably. Okay, yeah, I think I've seen that now. Anyway, but yeah, so I I don't have any, my just short-term goals are kind of like get my lower body stronger because at, at this point in my life, like I can certainly bench press more than I can squat or deadlift. Like it's pretty bad. Yeah. Um and then get faster, but really, I've hey, seen let's, some- just, let's just say that's completely fine as long as your deadlift and squat are respectable. If you can bench press <laughs> that, then it's all good. That's that's not always a negative. Yeah, they're definitely not respectable. <laughs> I wish I could say they are, but yeah, no. I essentially, I have not been able to do a barbell squat or a deadlift in almost two years now, like gotcha. at any level. Yeah. So one day we'll get there. Yeah. Um, but I did see like this race that. I can't remember what it's called, but it's some like absolute nonsense where you run like 10, five K's in 24 hours, like over a 24 hour period. So I was like, that could be something that I would just sign up for. And do you remember, do, do you remember Cam Scheitzok on the volleyball team? Uh-huh. So Cam, and this is a while ago, but she, she started PT school and her and I always, you know, stay in touch over text, but I ended up seeing her in, in person uh, a little while ago and she's like oh we got to do this thing it's a david goggins you run 
four miles every hour for 48 hours. Oh, I'm I've like, seen that. What? What? I'll run four miles once. Once, yeah. And then go and then go on with the rest. I'll run four miles the next day, but for 48 hours straight, four miles every hour for 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah, I have my own thoughts about some David Goggins stuff, but yeah. <laughs> um yeah, things like that. There's also a competition. Have you heard of it? It's called Hyrox, H-Y-R-O-X. Uh-uh. So I guess it's kind of like CrossFit, but the competition never changes. Yeah. So it's basically you run one kilometer and then you go to like a station and the station might be like row a 2K or like push a heavy sled is one of them, like a hundred wall balls. I think it's one of them. Burby broad jumps is one of them. In between each station, you run 1K and there's eight total stations. So you end up running 8K kilometers for those uh, non-European listeners (laughs) and then doing like yeah some type of little station in between lunges um and that's that's the race um and it's the same every time so they have like world championships um so I was like there's nothing super heavy loading in that so I was like I think that might be something that I could like train for and um try to push myself to do that would be fun so there's also i remember when i used to go to the the arnold's every year in columbus ohio they had the pump and run where Mm. you did something maybe it was like your body weight bench press as many times Mm. as you could yeah and and then you had to run a 5k after that that always seemed like that would be fun yeah if you get into like the hybrid quote-unquote world of training like some of the things that these guys are and girls are doing are just like absolutely insane it's like you know squat 500 pounds and then run a side sub five minute mile immediately after yeah so i just thought that was i thought i you know i've been intrigued by that yeah that's awesome uh let's talk about online training so you have an online coach and then you're mm-hmm. also a on, online coach um one thing we've been talking about recently in the office at nutter and you know we all share an office so if somebody right. has a thought we're all talking about it. Um, I'm always trying to encourage our strength coaches to, hey, you have to have some sort of supplemental income if you want it, and then right. also have a plan B. You know, this might not, strength and conditioning is hard. Um, hours are long sometimes. Work-life balance isn't always great. So you might want to get out of it um, at some point. So always have a plan B. What are you going to do? So recently we've been talking about, okay, we love being strength coaches. Can we supplement our income by doing some online coaching? And we've been looking at different apps like Train Heroic. And I forget what the other ones are called, but I know you're writing the program for Coach D and Bri Papato. What app do you use? And is it the same app that you use for with your online coach? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I use True Coach. Um, and actually, just totally coincidentally, that's the same app that my coach uses as oh, well. Yeah. Um, I've tried out several different ones and I always just kept coming back to true coach. Like everyone has their own preference, but for me, it's just the, the hands down. What What do you like about it? It's really simple. So it does, it's not crowded with a bunch of like features. Um, I don't do nutrition coaching, for example. So like, I don't need a whole section on like, you know, for that specifically, mm-hmm. or like, I don't need preloaded video workouts 
for someone to follow along, which some apps offer. Um, so it's simple. And then what I really like about it is the free text space that it has. So a lot of them are like you plug in the sets and the reps and all of that. But with True Coach, like you just write, you just type. And so that's helpful for me where I'm trying to like, you know, I'll come up with some crazy circuit or I'm trying to get somebody to do a threshold run or something. And I'm trying to explain what that is. So I can just type that out in the box or I can say, I want you to do an AMRAP for 10 minutes. Um, at, you know, use this way, et cetera, without having to be like, okay, how am I going to like get this point across without having like a notes section? So that was the big one for me. Um, it's just like the ability to write. The simplicity of it all. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's one thing that I'm struggling with. I was like, I would love to get into this, but there's so much, and it kind of comes back to the same concept I was talking about with the podcast. You just got to pick something, jump into it, figure out what you like, what you don't like. Maybe you switch the app that you're working with, but um, how does it work logistically? Like you get a client or do you have like a profile on there? Because I want to say like with Train Heroic, I can go on there and search like Mike Boyle and then his yeah. hockey program will pop up. I can buy it. And then maybe I can do like, I don't know what it is, maybe buy like three one-on-one -on -one sessions with one of his coach where they will answer my questions or something like right. that. How does it work with a uh, true coach? Can people find you on it? Do you have to direct your clients there? They just download the app. What's that whole process look like? Yeah. So to my knowledge, um, it's different from train heroic in the sense where, you know, train heroic has that marketplace where you can search for programs yeah. and find them there. Um, true coach doesn't have that. It's all, um, for one-on-one -on -one or I know some gyms use it for with their athletes as well. But basically when I have a client sign up, I'll enter their email address into, I'll get them a profile. It'll send them a link to download the app. Um, and then I'll usually send them some resources on just navigating and different, different things to look out for. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's pretty just, simplistic in that sense what's the what's the initial cost on your end like does it is it based off how many clients you have because once again yeah. i want to say like more clients you had the more expensive but some, uh, an app like train heroic was yeah yeah so i think i pay 60 dollars a month right now um i think that maybe gives me up to 20 clients i'm not sure um so there are tiers and then once you get beyond a certain amount i think they have like a customized so it's not like you're just paying an extra 50 dollars or whatever for every 20 clients yeah so um i know it can sound like a an expense but you know for me one client easily covers that and more so it's it is what it is yeah um looking towards the future do you do you like it not future the company but your future <laughs> um I'm not going back to future. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, do you like the online coaching the way you have it set up now? Is it something you want to continue to do, grow your business in that respect? What's your thoughts? Yeah. So that's kind of exactly what I'm working on right now. Um, for a long time after I left future, which I left future in uh, July of 2020, I was a little bit I don't want to say like scarred by the online coaching business, but I only saw it one way. It would be like if you worked at one university and you didn't have a great experience there and you were like, I don't know if I want to be a college strength coach. Yeah. Like, so 
for me, I was kind of like, I, I want to do things on my own terms, but that was the only online experience that I had. So it was kind of hard to like clear that out of my head and be like, there are different ways to go about this. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, basically what I've been looking to do. I've continue to train people online since I left future and whatever July or August of 2020 I've had some clients um and now I'm kind of just trying to find what my brand is going to be I think you know that's another thing that a lot of coaches look at they're like I'm a coach I work at University of Kentucky or you know Oregon or Michigan or wherever like I'm really good at writing programs I can just sell them online and it's yep. like, it's not that easy. No. Um, uh, as much as, you know, we want to just be like, people would love to jump at the chance to train with me. <laughs> it's like, again, so going back to our earlier point, general population is very different. Yeah. So yeah, right now I'm just kind of coming up with like a more cohesive brand, what I want that to look like. Um, and then creating offers. So obviously one-on-one coaching, but if you're just offering one-on-one coaching to everybody that asks for it, you're going to probably end up burning out or spinning your wheels because, you know, you you want it to be something you want to do. So you want to coach the people that you want to coach. Now with the app, does like the payment system, does all that go through the app or do you have to do that on your own? Like do people mail you cash, just DM mail you cash? (laughs) Yeah, they mail me a check every week. No, (laughs) I actually do. I So I have a couple of in-person clients that I still train here um, and they pay me with a check and I think it's funny. Um, But yeah, (laughs) they do have a payment system. I don't when I first started using it, I don't think they have that integrated. So yeah. I just use Venmo. Gotcha. Um, and that's just what I've been using. Now, once I become a little more professional with it and, you know, hopefully grow this thing, it'll probably all go through a, a specific service. But yeah. Venmo's even easy enough right now. So yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, Creo, appreciate you coming on the podcast today and taking some time to talk with us. Um, always enjoy our conversations. Yeah, me too. Thanks. Everybody out there listening, if you have any feedback or comments for us, don't hesitate to email us at ukstrength at uky.edu. Thanks and go cats. Go cats.